Well, good evening. It's good to see you here tonight in person. Glad to have those of you who are joining us there on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, all those different platforms there. Thank you for being there with us. Uh, if you like our services there, be sure to subscribe, to follow, uh, click the notification bells there so you get the notification when we go live. Uh, retweet us there on Twitter. Do all those things because it just helps to get the word out uh, to more people uh, so we get more followers, so we get more uh, coverage there with people uh, watching our broadcast. And also just want to say welcome to those who are on our phone live stream. Too. Glad to have you with us also. Uh, if you have access to our church website, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab that you can download today's worship bulletin. Uh, we also have the children's worship bulletins, ages three and up, ages seven and up. Those are in the windowsill to my right, and there are bulletins around if you need one uh, in person. And then also don't forget that you can download the prayer list under that info tab there. So be sure to do that as we added some this morning uh, and want to encourage you to be praying uh, for each one of those individuals that are on the list. Um, and so uh, don't forget to, uh, you can do your online giving there. Just go to the far right hand side, click that give online tab, do your regular giving, do your Lottie Moon Christmas offering giving. Uh, we're almost there on our goal. So I want to encourage you uh, to give to help us to reach that goal if you've not already. And then don't forget also our Hoosier One uh, prayer uh, cards. Uh, if you'll fill out that little blue piece right here on the side, tear that off uh, like this. Uh, on the back side, you'll have a name there. So place that in the offering plate. Uh, and then you keep this bookmark part, uh, write the person's name there and just go down through it for the next 30 days, uh, praying through those scriptures uh, and asking the Lord to work in their hearts and in their lives. We'll place these on the cross over here to my right. So be sure uh, to, to get those into us. And then later we'll be putting out a list of individuals, uh, little cards that you can pray for individuals that are on the cross over here uh, and encourage you to pray for those people so that not only is the person who wrote the person's name praying for them, you will be also. And so just wanted to remind you that. But welcome tonight. Looking forward to the service tonight in the book of Genesis. So Brother Mike, if you'll come. Looking forward to the Genesis sermon. Take your hymnals and turn to 333. 333. Leaning on the everlasting arms. It's Amen. It's been quite a few weeks now since we've been uh, in the book of Genesis. Uh, so I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. Chapter 15 is where we're at uh, tonight. Chapter 15. <clears throat> 
We're going to be looking at the entire chapter here. And we're just taking a walk through uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, after we finish Genesis, we'll go into the book of Exodus also. Uh, we want to understand Genesis better because there's a lot in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Genesis and Exodus, uh, in those first five books of the Old Testament, uh, that are applicable to our lives uh, even today. Uh, there are some things that are applicable just to the nation of Israel, but there are a lot of things we can learn uh, to help us uh, in our walk with the Lord today. And so I've entitled this message uh, tonight, Deeper Faith, because we've seen already how Abraham has had faith trusting in God uh, to, to help him to win the battle, the victories uh, over the kings that he went when he went to deliver uh, Lot from uh, Sodom there uh, and from those uh, wicked things that were happening there as he rescued him. Uh, but we're going to see here in chapter 15 that God makes a covenant with him. And sometimes we have to go through dark times in our lives to experience those times where we would trust in the Lord and grow in our faith more than ever before. And so we need to have those kinds of times in our lives to have a deeper faith. So Genesis chapter 15, we're going to begin with verse 1. If you would, let's stand and read God's Word in honor of His Word. <clears throat> so beginning with verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word tonight. And we just pray, God, that you will speak your truth into our lives, especially for those who may not know Christ as our Lord and Savior. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll, hear, you'll help them to hear the gospel message, that you love them and have provided a way for them to be saved, to be rescued from their sin uh, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. But Lord, I pray for many of us who are believers, Lord, that this message would be a message of encouragement to us that no matter what we're going through, no matter how deep or dark the valley may be, that you're wanting to take those experiences and those times that we're going through to grow us into a deeper faith with you. And so, Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to grow in that deep faith. Help us, Lord, so that we would have that good, firm foundation of faith in our lives so that when anything comes our way, we're always trusting in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. The Puritan preacher Thomas Goodwin uh, wrote this. He said, One who truly fears God is obedient to Him uh, and is obedient to Him may be in a condition of darkness and have no light. And he may walk many days and years in that condition. Now, the Puritan preacher Thomas Goodwin said that, and you would expect that he would say that a person who doesn't fear God would walk in darkness uh, and have no light. And that is true also. But he says in, in his comment, one, truly, one who truly fears God and is obedient to Him, you may have times in your life that you may be in a condition of darkness, there's no light, it seems like there is no hope, and you may walk in that path for many days and years in that condition. In fact, the prophet Isaiah agrees with him and says in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 10, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. You know, even at, uh, at, time, the time, at times even the most dedicated Christian feels in the dark and wonders why God seems to be so far away. Uh, during the Boxer Rebellion, the, Chi the China Inland Mission suffered greatly. A and its founder, Hudson Taylor, J. Hudson Taylor, he said this to one of his friends. He said, I cannot read. He said, I cannot think. I cannot even pray. But I can trust. He was in one of the darkest times of his life. And he said, I can't read. I can't think. I can't even pray. But I can trust. Understand this tonight. Here is a believer, you're watching online as a believer, you may be going through some dark times in your life, you may not be able to do anything else, but you can trust in the Lord. It was a dark time, but God eventually gave light. Abraham had an experience of what some may call the dark night of the soul. 
Now that term comes from a 16th century spiritual classic of that title uh, by St. John of the Cross. Based on the night scenes, it's based on the night scenes in the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. Uh, the book tells how the child of God enters into a deeper love and a deeper faith by experiencing a temporary darkness and a seeming separation from God. You know, it's not an easy thing to experience those times in your life. When you've not done anything that you know of, that, that, is, that you're suffering consequences of, of sinful choices that you made, that could be the case. So you always want to examine your heart and make sure, is there anything in my life that I've sinned against the Lord that's caused this consequence that I'm going through? And if you can't think of anything and the Lord doesn't reveal anything to you, then you need to understand that, that it may be that God is bringing you through that dark night of the soul, uh, if you will. It's not an easy thing to experience, but sometimes it's necessary. Abraham, going through a deep night of, his, of darkness of his soul, had three great concerns during that dark night experience for him. And we're going to find that God meets all three of those concerns. Here's his first concern. His first concern was for his safety. His first concern was for his safety. Uh, read with me again verse 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So notice the previous chapter had focused on Abraham. Remember, Abraham rescued Lot, and Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. Well, in that previous chapter, it focused on Abraham's actions, but this chapter deals with his emotions, including, as you're going to read down in verse 12, the dreadful and great darkness that fell upon him. You know, people of faith are also people with feelings. Every one of you here tonight or watching online who've trusted by faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have feelings. Uh, and, and those feelings shouldn't be discredited or ignored. You know, many Orthodox Christians are prone to emphasize the mind and the will and, and to minimize the emotions. But that's a mistake that can lead to an unbalanced life. Now, of course, we don't want to base our decisions on our feelings. But we need to realize that feelings are real there for us, even as believers, because we're made in the image of God, and that includes our emotions. And so while it's not wise to trust uh, our emotions and bypass uh, our mind and our heart as the Lord is uh, leading us and guiding us with His Word, uh, or to let our emotions get out of control, it's also not wise to deny our emotions or to suppress our emotions. You know what happens when you suppress your emotions? They get bogged down and bottled down inside of you, and eventually it's like a pressure cooker. It doesn't matter if it's, it's feelings of anxiety or it's feelings of, of sadness or it's feelings of anger. It still gets bottled down like in a pressure cooker and builds up and builds up until eventually it explodes. And so we ought not to deny our emotions, suppress our emotions, and, and become like some religious robot. In fact, when you read through the Psalms, I'd encourage you to read through the Psalms. I'm going through the Psalms myself right now through Proverbs and Psalms, one proverb a day, five Psalms a day. <clears throat> when you read the Psalms, uh, you read about the psalmist's emotions. In the Psalms, David and, and other writers, they told God honestly how they felt about him. Now, do you think God knew how they felt? Exactly. He already knew. But they are expressing their, their feelings uh, through those psalms, those writers are, to God, expressing themselves honestly, their feelings about Him, their feelings about themselves, uh, their feelings about their circumstances. And that's a good example for us to follow also. <clears throat> when you think about Jesus, Jesus was God in the flesh. And, and in the flesh, He was a real man. And he expressed openly his emotions. He expressed emotions of joy. He expressed emotions of sorrow. We know the shortest verse in the Bible is, Jesus wept. So it was an emotion. Uh, we know that Jesus went into the, into the temple courtyards and he overturned the money changer tables. We see him expressing a, a holy anger. We see him expressing love on the cross, a sacrificial love. So we see him expressing his emotions. So when we come here to Abraham, uh, we find in chapter 14 the battle has been won. 
So he's had this great victory. So why in the world would Abram be afraid? Well, for one thing, he was human. And our, and our emotions, they can fall apart after a time of great danger and difficulty. You know, as you're going through that difficult time, it's like you get this extra burst of adrenaline that the Holy Spirit's working in you to, to go through. And then when you come through to the other side, it's almost, and everything just comes out then. The battle's already been won here, though. There's time of great danger. There's been a time of great difficulty. And, and <clears throat> sometimes we fall apart after those kinds of times. That explains to us why when you look at Ezekiel, or not Ezekiel, but Elijah, uh, when, when he was discouraged uh, after uh, the victory over the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Remember that in, in 1 Kings chapter 19? He'd had a great victory, had pursued the enemy, had defeated the enemy, and the next chapter you're reading, he was discouraged. He's thinking, oh, woe is me. Uh, you know, many times after the mountaintop experience comes the valley. Uh, another reason was also the possibility that these four kings that Abraham had gone against might return with reinforcements uh, and attack Abraham's camp. Uh, Abraham knew that eastern kings, they didn't take defeat lightly. They weren't going to probably let it rest. They weren't going to let their enemies die down quickly. What if Abraham was to get killed? What would happen to God's covenant promise? So he's thinking about all those things, uh, and, and he's uh, become discouraged, so the Lord has to speak to him to say, Fear not, Abram. Now, we see him listening to God here also, because you certainly ought to listen to God about your feelings and be honest about them. Uh, the psychiatrist David Viscott writes this, and he says, When a person assumes responsibility for his feelings, he assumes responsibility for his world. But don't stop there. Take time to listen to God, to receive the words of encouragement from God. This is a word of encouragement from God to Abraham. It's the first time in the Bible that we find the phrase, the word of the Lord came. You see that? After these things, the word of the Lord came. First time you ever see that phrase in all of the Bible is found right here. It's used more than a hundred times throughout the Old Testament. So understand that the faith that conquers fear is faith in the Word of God, not faith in our feelings. So God spoke to his friend Abram by name. Did you notice that? After these things, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and the Lord specifically says to him, Fear not, Abram. You know, it may seem incredible to us, but the God who names and numbers all those stars in the heaven, he also knows your name. And he's concerned about your needs. This is also the first time that you find the words in the Bible, fear not. It's the first time you find those words, those words that bring assurance. God repeated them to Isaac. He repeats those words to Jacob. He repeats those words often throughout the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. The fear not promises in the book of Isaiah are a good read. I'd encourage you to get a concordance, look in the concordance in your Bibles and find all those fear not passages in the book of Isaiah. Encouraging, encouraging there to read those promises and to think about, when you, to think about those verses when you find yourself dealing with fear. But understand and notice here that God's answer for Abram, Abraham's fear was to remind him of who he was. So notice what he goes on to say. Fear not, Abram, I am. Where have we heard that? We're going to see that as we go on through the Old Testament. This is one of those times we see the I am here. And understand that God's I am is perfectly adequate for man's I am not. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. You see, your life is only as big as your faith. And your faith is only as big as your God. 
If you spend all your time looking at yourself, then you're going to get discouraged. But if you look to God by faith, you will be encouraged. God is our shield and our reward, our protection and our provision. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So here in what God is saying to Abraham here, Abraham didn't have to worry about another battle that might come because the Lord had promised him, I'm going to protect you. And he didn't need to regret losing the wealth offered to him by the king of Sodom. Remember in that, back in chapter 14 uh, that the king of Sodom had offered him uh, all this wealth? And he said, no, I don't want any of that. I'm doing this for the Lord. And, and so he didn't need to worry about losing all that wealth. God was going to reward him in far greater ways, just like God rewards us in far greater ways that we could imagine when we trust in him. This is the Old Testament equivalent of, of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that says, seek, ye, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's the equivalent of Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 that says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So we see here God is speaking to Abram to encourage him to fear not because I'm giving you my protection and I'm giving you my provision. Protection and provision are blessings that the world is always seeking after. It's blessings that politicians are always promising whenever they run for office. You know, candidates offer voters protection from war, from danger on the streets, as well as provision for jobs and, and health care and education and old age. Some of the promises are kept, but many of those are forgotten. Almighty God is the only one who can offer you protection. He's the only one that can meet all of your needs and keep his promises. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So Abram was concerned about his safety. God says, Abram, you don't have to worry. I'm going to keep you safe. He was also concerned about another thing. He was concerned about his heir in verse 2 down to verse 6. And so we see Abram, first of all, asking about his heir. So after God says to him, fear not, I am your shield, I am your protector, I'm going to provide for you, you're going to receive the reward that shall be very great. But Abraham, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram here questions God, asks God. God had promised Abraham that his descendants would be, as he's already promised this back in previous chapters, uh, that his, his descendants would be as numerous as, as the sand on the seashore, uh, as much as the stars in the sky back in chapter 13, and, and that would bring blessing to the whole world. But here is Abraham and Sarah. They're getting up in age, and they're still childless. And Abraham is thinking here, what if I die? The only heir that I have is my chief of staff, in a sense, Eliezer. Lot was no longer in the picture. Abraham's other relatives, they're over 500 miles away in Mesopotamia. So he's thinking, what happened to the promise, God? You made a promise that you were going to provide an heir Where's the promise? I haven't seen it come yet. And I'm getting up in age. Sarah's getting up in age. There's no way we're going to have some child is what he's questioning and thinking about in his heart. So Abraham's concern wasn't just for himself. It wasn't just for his wife, even though like all couples, they wanted children. His concern was for the working out of God's plan of salvation for the whole world. God, you said you're going to bring this heir and you're going to use, you're going to make my descendants as numerous as the sand on the shore, as numerous as the stars in the sky to be a blessing to the world. How's that going to happen if we don't have a child yet? So he's questioning the plan of salvation for the world. 
God had a great plan, and God made a gracious promise. But from Abraham's perspective, it seemed as if God was doing nothing. You ever been there in your life where you're going through some difficulty and you wonder what in the world is God doing? It seems like God's not doing anything. Abraham and Sarah, they're getting older. Time is running out. You know, one of the basic lessons, though, in the school of faith is this, is that God's will has to be fulfilled in God's way and in God's time. Not in your time, but in God's time. God didn't expect Abraham and Sarah to, to figure out some way uh, to, to come up with an heir. Uh, he, he, he didn't, you know, we find out in the scriptures when we read there, they, they try to substitute with, with one of her, her uh, concubines, with one of the concubines there, with one of her servants, uh, with Hagar. But that's not what God's plan was. They didn't have to do anything to try to figure out how to have an heir. All he asked is that they would be available so he could accomplish his purpose in and through them. And so what Abraham and Sarah didn't realize was that God was waiting for them to get to the place where in essence they were as good as dead. There were no options for them to do anything. There was no way for them to solve their own situation so that God alone could receive the power and the glory. That way it could never be said, look at what Abraham and Sarah did. It was, there was no mistaking this had to come from God. So understand this, it's good for us to share our concerns with the Lord. He already knows that we have concerns. Even if what you say seems to indicate in your own heart maybe unbelief or, or impatience in your heart, God isn't deaf to our questions or, or unconcerned about our feelings. Notice that he doesn't rebuke Abraham. Instead, he gives them assurances here, uh, the assurances that he needed. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 tells us that we ought to be casting all of our anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And so now we see Abraham looking. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. So here's Abraham thinking, I don't have a kid. How in the world is this promise going to be fulfilled? The only person that's going to be my heir is Eleazar, uh, the, this, this guy who's, who's like my chief of staff here, uh, who's a member of my household. He's going to have to be the one who's going to be the heir. How in the world is this going to come about, Lord? And God says, nope, it's not going to happen through this man to be your heir. He says, your very own son shall be your heir. Verse 5, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God makes it clear to Abraham alone that, that, that he alone, uh, that, that Abraham would be the father of a future heir. And that heirship depends on sonship. In other words, to, to have an heir... You have to have kids. And in particular here, you have to have sons. And so then God dramatically assures Abraham here that, that this one heir, this one son that's going to come, he's going to be your son, Abraham. He's going to be your child. He's going to be the father of so many descendants that nobody is going to be able to count them. Here's a lesson for us to learn. Even... When life is dark, you can still see the stars. What a wonderful truth that is to be reminded of. Even when life is dark, you know the stars are there. Someone as well said, when the outlook is bleak, try the uplook. Abraham, he had been looking around. He had been trying to solve the problem himself. He had been wrecking his brain, trying to figure out how in the world are we going to fix this situation? How in the world are we going to make this promise come about? He was trying to solve his own problem here. But the answer lay in looking up. It's estimated that in the heavens there are 100 billion stars. God didn't say 
that Abraham would have that many descendants, but that like the stars, there'd be too many to count. And so whether Abraham looked down at the sand or whether Abraham looked up at the stars, he would always be reminded he could recall God's promise and have confidence. That's why it's so vitally important for you to be in the Word of God where the promises of God are so that when those times of darkness come, and they will come, you can go back to the promises of God's Word to see you through those difficult times. That's what Abraham needed here. And this promise was repeated to Abraham, and it was reaffirmed again to Isaac. And then we see Abraham believing. Notice in verse 6, so God said that to him, look to the heavens, see the stars, if, if you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. You won't be able to count them. And verse 6 says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now understand this, promises don't do us any good unless we believe them. And, and, and it's not just a, up here that I believe it. It's, it comes out in the actions of our lives that I trust in what God said, and so I'm going I'm to be faithful, and I'm not just going to uh, think it's, it's good up here. Yeah, you said that, God, because the next time something comes along, if it's just up here, my feelings are going to change those thoughts. But if I begin to act on those promises, it begins to help me to grow deeper in my faith. Abraham had already trusted God's promise, and he had proved it. Remember, he's already left his home and, and, and went to this place uh, called Canaan that he didn't even know about. But Genesis 15 and verse 6 is the first reference in the Bible to Abraham's faith. It's, if you will, the John 3:16 of the Old Testament. And for that reason, New Testament writers use this verse over and over to illustrate salvation by faith. Now, there's only five words in the Hebrew original of Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, but what a wealth of meaning they contain. This verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. Galatians 3 verse 6, Romans 4 verse 3, James 2 verse 23. And there are three key words, believe, counted, and righteousness. So notice, Abraham believed God, which is literally God, Abraham is saying to God, Amen, I agree, Lord, I agree, God. Now that word, the Hebrew word <coughs> that's translated believed means to lean your whole weight on. To lean your whole weight on. Abraham was leaning completely at this point on the promise of God and the God of the promise. So understand, we're not, we're not saved by making promises to God. We're saved by believing the promises of God. In the Gospel of John, which was written to tell people how to be saved, the word believe is used nearly 100 times. Salvation is the gracious gift of God, and it's received by faith. But what was Abraham's greatest need? It was righteousness. This is the greatest need of, of every person in the world today because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3 verse 10 tells us there is none that is righteous, no, not one. So it, it's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to do good things. God demands that we have perfect righteousness or he will not let us into heaven. I don't know about you, but I've never been perfect in all my life. And you'll never be perfect in all your life. That's the problem. The problem is we can't live perfect righteousness to get us into heaven. There's only one who's done that, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's who we're to place our faith and our hope in. So, so how did Abraham here receive his righteousness? He believed the Lord. And righteousness was imputed to him. He believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. In fact, that's what that means. Impute means to be put to one's account. And so from the New Testament perspective, on the cross, 
our sins were put on the account of Jesus and his blood paid for our sin debt. Numbered, counted with the transgressors, Isaiah 53 verse 12 says. When he suffered the punishment that belonged to us, our sin was put on Jesus' account. So when you trust in him as Lord and Savior, his righteousness, his perfect righteousness is placed on your account and you stand before God righteous and forgiven before a holy God because of the righteousness that he gave you, not because of any righteousness you did or earned or deserved, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so Abraham here, he proves his faith by his works when he offers Isaac on the altar. Abraham wasn't saved by obeying God or even promising to obey God. It, it, but his obedience proved his faith. Uh, you know, understand that sinners, uh, we're not saved uh, by faith plus works, but a faith that works. If you take time to read the book of Galatians chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, and James chapter 2, then you'll see how Abraham illustrates salvation by faith. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul focuses on the word believe. In Romans chapter 4, he deals with the word impute. In James chapter 2, he, he explains righteousness. It takes three New Testament chapters to unfold this one verse, Genesis 15, verse 6. The answer to Abraham's fear was God's presence. I am. The answer to Abraham's concern about his heir was God's promise. I will. How often and how will God answer Abraham's third concern? One concern was for his safety. Another concern was for his heir. But notice what his third concern was for, his land. And we might think, what in the world? What's it matter about the land? Land comes, land goes, somebody buys it, somebody else buys it, somebody else buys it after you're gone, after the next person's gone. What all does that mean? Well, we're going to see in the Old Testament here, the land had, had, was, was bound up here in the promise as we go through chapter, or verse 7 down through verse 21. First we see God's affirmation in verse 7. And he said to him, God says to, to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So God, in essence, sits Abram down and he says, Remember, Abram, I'm the one who told you way back there when you were in the land of Ur, when you were back there with all your family and all your kin, I'm the one who told you, leave your kin, leave your family, and go to a place that I, sh I will show you. I'm the one who brought you here. I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So the land is important in the promise that God had made to begin with. So God had told Abram he would give the land of Canaan to him and to his descendants, and now he reaffirms that promise in verse 7. The land's an important part of the covenant because it's, the, in, it's in the land of Israel that the divine drama of salvation's history was enacted. The land of Israel is also going to be the stage for the final act uh, of history when the Messiah returns to reign on this earth. So for centuries, Israel was a nation without a land. It, it seemed in our days, in, in more recent times, in the last uh, 150 years or so, uh, that Israel, as they were a nation without a land, it seemed as if the covenant promises wouldn't be fulfilled. And one of the great British preachers of old of 1932, uh, G. Campbell Morgan, here's what he wrote back in 1932. He said, I am now quite convinced that the teaching of Scripture as a whole is that there is no future for Israel as an earthly people at all. That was in 1932. Then came May 14th, 1948, and the rebirth of the na national Israel. You know, God works in his time. Just as God kept his promise to Abraham and sent the Messiah, so also he's going to keep his promise and restore the land to his people. 
That didn't happen yet in the New Testament. That didn't happen uh, in Jesus' day. It didn't happen uh, in, in the days of the disciples as they wrote their letters and, and their gospels. That is still something out in the future that's yet to be completely fulfilled. Because even now that there's a national Israel, that promise still has not been totally completed. And, and so God is going to keep his promise and restore the whole land to his people. And so then we come... Uh, to Abram's assurance in verse 8 down through verse 12. So notice verse 8. But he said, Abram does, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, God did, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds, when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And then notice this phrase. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So Abram's question here in verse 8 is not a sign of unbelief, but a request of God, Lord, show me a sign of assurance. He was confident God would give him this promised son, but, but the, the land was in the hands of ten pagan nations. He doesn't own the land yet. He's just a sojourner in the land. Uh, he's living in tents, taking care of his, his herds in the land. He doesn't even have a city that he's living in. And, and all these other nations on the land, are in, and the land is in their hands. And so it was one thing for Abraham to own the land, but how would his descendants possess it so that they could enjoy it? So what you see described in, in verse 9 through verse 17 was known in that day as a cutting of the covenant. Uh, this was a solemn ritual uh, that that involved the death of animals and the blinding of, of, of people to a promise. Uh, the persons making that covenant would sacrifice several animals. They would divide the bodies. They would place the halves opposite of each other on the ground, and then the parties would walk through uh, the pieces of the sacrifices in a declaration that if they ever failed to keep their word, they deserved the same fate as those animals. But Abraham's experience was different. Notice he killed the animals. He laid them on the ground. What's he do for the rest of the day? Shoo, shoo, get away from here, birds. Get away from here. Stay away from this. He, the rest of the day, he's shooing birds away, uh, these, these birds that are attracted here to the flesh and to the blood. And then when the sun goes down, Abraham's been working all day trying to keep these birds off of the carcasses there, and he falls into a deep sleep. And then notice, God appears to him, and God speaks to him. Let's continue on down, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. They will be afflicted for 400 years. Where's this 400 years going to take place? Down there in Egypt. We'll find that out in just a moment. So notice he goes on. He says in verse 14, But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Then notice verse 17. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark 
Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Notice that it is God. It is God who passes through these pieces of this sacrifice. It's God who made the promise to Abraham. Not Abraham who makes the promise to God. Uh, understand this promise. There were no conditions attached to it. The covenant of grace came from the generous heart of God. And then you see Abraham's anticipation. Out of the horror, out of the dreadful great darkness uh, that we read about, uh, there that he, he falls into in verse 12, Behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Out of that darkness, out of that dreadful great darkness, Abraham hears the terms of God's covenant. And he discovers God's plan for the nation. He discovers God's plan for himself. He discovers God's plan for the land. Uh, now, notice he discovers God's plan for the nation first in verse 13 and 14, and then verse 16 and verse 17 that we just read a moment ago. He tells him in this promise here that, that your descendants are, are, are going to be going down to, to another country. Jacob and his family, we know from the Old Testament, went down to Egypt uh, to be protected by Joseph, uh, where they grew into a mighty people. And the events and, and, and the, their timing of, of how long they were there were in the hands of God. The Bible tells us here uh, in chapter 15 and verse 13, 400 years. That refers to Israel's entire stay in Egypt from Jacob's arrival to the Exodus. So why did God wait so long to deliver his people. Why didn't he do it so sooner? Well, we know from the New Testament that God is, is long-suffering. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. God was long-suffering with the nations that were there in Canaan, and he delayed their judgment. So, in other words, God was going to bring judgment on those nations that owned the land or that were possessing the land that God had promised to Abraham. He was going to bring judgment upon them, but he delays their judgment so that they might have more time to repent. Because if you go back and you look in God's Word and you look back through those genealogies, where did those people come from that were in those genealogies that possessed the land? They came from Noah's genealogy. You find those descendants, one after another, listed there in the genealogy. God is giving them opportunity after opportunity to repent of their sin. Now some, when they look at this text, condemn Israel and even condemn God for the way the Canaanites were treated, the way they were, the battles went against them. And, uh, but they seem to forget that God had given, the, given them centuries, in fact four centuries, to repent of their wickedness. I don't know how long God's going to give us to repent of our wickedness, but we've been here as a nation uh, for what? Some 200 and almost 50 years, 225 to 250 years. How long is he going to wait before he brings his judgment upon us? We see Abraham himself. So we see God's promise not only to the nation in those verses we just looked at, but his promise to Abraham himself. Look at verse 15 again. He says, as for you, as for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. What was that good old age for him? 175 years, which means he walked with God for a century. He walked with God for 100 years, because he's about that old now he, at this point. He's about 75 years old at this point in the history of his life. So for 100 years, he walks with the Lord. And so in spite of Abraham's uh, occasional failures, in, he, he accomplishes the will of God, and he brings blessing to the whole world. This promise from God must have given Abraham and Sarah great encouragement later in their lives as they faced difficulty. Just like the promise of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 gives for us, or Ephesians 2, verse 10 gives to us to encourage God's people today. And then notice God's promise to the land. Go to verse 18. 
on that day, that's an important phrase. We've been talking about that in Zechariah. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So from way down here in Egypt to way up here where the Euphrates River is, to the great river Euphrates, he says, I'm going to give you that land. I'm going to give you the land of the Kenites. Verse 19 says, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So think about that. Go back to the beginning of Abraham's journey. God had said to him, I will show you the land. Later, he says to Abraham, I will give you the land. But now his word in verse 18 is that on that day, uh, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring, I give this land. So God's covenant makes it a settled matter. God promised it. You can count on it. The land belongs to Abraham and his descendants through his son that's to come, Isaac. You think about the history of Israel, Solomon, he reigned over a vast area. But Israel didn't possess all that land. The kings merely acknowledged Solomon's sovereignty. They paid tribute to him. When Jesus Christ, though, comes, and he reigns from the throne of David in the last days, the land of Israel is going to reach its full dimensions promised by God. So the promise is still yet out there in the future to be completely fulfilled. God's covenant with Abraham, though it stands, no matter what Israel believes, the covenant is unconditional. Its fulfillment doesn't depend on, on man's faith or, or man's faithfulness. Just like that, the, the New Testament covenant uh, established by Jesus Christ is dependable whether people accept it today or not, whether they believe it today or not. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ enter into that covenant, into that promise, and you have the promise of receiving eternal life, an eternal inheritance, an eternal glory. So when Abraham was concerned about himself, God assured him by saying, Abraham, I am. And when he was concerned about his heir, he heard God say, I will. And when he was concerned about the land, God's promise was, I have given. They hadn't taken possession of it yet, but God says it's as good as done. I've already given it to your descendants. Here's what we need to remember, that, that in Jesus Christ, God has given us those same assurances to his people today. Abraham believed God. The question for us tonight is, do you believe God? If you're without Christ and you've never trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, you've never believed in him. And he's calling you tonight to trust in him. He's calling you to believe in him. But there are those of us who have professed with our lips to believe in him. But let me ask you, do you really believe him? Do you really believe the promises of God? that no matter how dark the valley is, their stars are still shining. There's still light in the sky. God is still with you, no matter how far down it may seem and, and how little it may seem like, where is God? Where is he working? God says to you tonight, I am. God says to you tonight, I will. God says to you tonight, I've already done it. I've already sent and gave you the greatest gift that you could ever receive. Jesus Christ, my only begotten Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word of truth tonight. What a powerful passage from Genesis chapter 15. Lord, that even proclaims to us the gospel message. That it's by faith that we trust in you. And that it's not of our own works. It's not of anything that we might do ourselves. 
It's by faith in our belief and trusting in your promises that you account it to us as righteousness. That the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his perfect righteousness, stands over us when we come before your throne. Lord, thank you. Thank you for making a way where there seemed to be no way. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray tonight that if there are those who are watching or here present tonight who need Jesus in their hearts, Father, I pray that they would call out to him to receive him and trust in him, believe in the promise that he's made. That if we, the Bible says that if we profess Jesus as our, as our Lord with our lips and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so, Father, I pray tonight there will be those who would do that. Lord, there are many of us who are here tonight and watching online who are believers. And some of us, Lord, are going through some dark valleys. We're going through some nights of the, dark nights of the soul. Lord, it's stretching us. And some of us, Lord, sometimes question, and we have feelings during those times. We sometimes have doubts and wonder. But Father, I pray that we will always go back to the promises of your word to know and to be reminded you are, you will, you already have. And Lord, may we stand on those promises that you've given to us even today. And may your will be done in our lives as you encourage us, as you strengthen us for the journeys ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation number 285, as the Lord lays on your heart, would you come tonight, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us, please. Thank you for being here with us tonight in person. Thank you for being there online with us. Uh, we'll be back Wednesday night. I won't be here, but Brother Matt will be leading uh, the message uh, that night. So I want to encourage you to come and, and support him. I think our youth will be in here uh, with him. Uh, we'll be gone this, or I'll be gone this week to Florida. My mom's 75th birthday is Tuesday, so I'll be there uh, with her this week for that. So uh, we won't have choir practice for those who are part of our choir. So just a reminder uh, for that with, with you also. So, but we do look forward to seeing you Wednesday. We will have Awana uh, on Wednesday, our normal activity. So be here if you can, uh, 5.30 for Awana, 6 o'clock for our worship service. Join us online if you can. Uh, but we look forward to seeing you then. You have a blessed week, a safe week, and we'll see you this Wednesday.